Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So are we going to war in Ukraine? Eh, Maybe that's not the way to say it. Is the United States sending troops to Eastern Europe to confront possible Russian aggression in Ukraine? That seems like it's going to be the case. But when Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, who just came out to say, look, um, we the, the Russia want to know what, what we think. They want to know how we view things. We, we, we wrote the document. We're committed to Ukraine's sovereignty and to its territorial integrity. We... We send them the letter addressing the possibility of reciprocal transparency measures regarding force posture in Ukraine and measures to increase confidence like military exercises and maneuvers in Europe. Discusses where there's possibilities for progress, arms control related to missiles in Europe, new treaty that might cover all nuclear weapons, ways to increase transparency and stability. So one could argue a whole bunch of nothing. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's great to be with you on Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. The phone number 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. That is the number. But it's important to hear from the Secretary of State himself. How he uh, is, is engaging this conversation. Now, I will tell you that Secretary Blinken does not give me any sense of comfort whatsoever. None. Zero. I think he comes across as weak and robotic and lacking zero character or charisma. Very emblematic of the Biden administration, I think is is the proper way to put that one. But he is addressing the issue and not only what America did and say, hey, you wanted some answers, some questions, here you go. But look, here's what's on the line. Last week, I authorized U.S. allies, including Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania, to provide U.S. origin military equipment from their inventories for use by Ukraine. Also last week, we notified Congress of our intent to deliver to Ukraine the MI-17 helicopters currently held in Defense Department inventories, five of them. Additionally, the Secretary of Defense announced on Monday that 8,500 U.S. service members currently stationed in Europe and the United States have been placed in heightened readiness, heightened readiness to deploy, to ensure that we're able to support the NATO response force swiftly if it's activated by the North Atlantic Council to harden the Allies' eastern flank. Other NATO allies have also announced steps that they're prepared to take, and we expect more in the coming days. We've taken this step out of prudence. Uh, We hope those forces don't have to be activated for deployment. But if they are, we will be ready. We're also continuing to coordinate with our European allies and partners on severe economic sanctions to hold Moscow accountable for its actions. We've developed a high-impact, quick-action response that would inflict significant costs on the Russian economy and financial system. As part of our response, we're also prepared to impose export controls that will have a longer-term effect, denying Russia products that it needs to fulfill its strategic ambitions. On top of all of that, Our allies and partners are also stepping up to provide assistance to Ukraine in various and mutually reinforcing ways. I absolutely love this whole severe sanctions thing. 
as if we think this is going to be the real deterrent. Severe sanctions, that's how it got referred to. And when you hear severe sanctions, there's only one way to think. What do you intend to do, sir? Delta's already on probation. They are? Yes, sir. Oh. Then as of this moment, they're on double secret probation. Severe sanctions indeed. But when you're talking about partners, first, you're not, only t- you're not always talking about specifically NATO nations. Part of the Ukraine conversation is that they would like to be a part of NATO. The question is, should they be a part of NATO? What is NATO's function today? And look how Russia reacts to this idea of a growing NATO, North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which was built to deal with the threat of Russia. They see it, it as the most offensive thing ever. So if you now have an Anthony Blinken discussing the idea of less weaponry and less missiles in Europe, aren't you putting Europe at risk? Well, what do the Europeans think? And maybe we shouldn't care what the Europeans think if they want us involved. 8,500 troops? 8,500 troops? To just do what? Do nothing? That's just it. They can't do nothing. The only way you can have a deterrent is that if, is, is if you are willing, sorry about that, is if you are willing to do something. And no one can show where the Biden administration is willing to do anything. So what is it that Blinken, Bl- Blinken, Blinken can really threaten here? What's his stick? As we've done many times before, the alliance and individual allies are coming together to support our partners and to defend what should be inviolable principles that have helped provide unprecedented security, stability, and prosperity for decades in Europe and around the world. Finally, we're looking to support our allies and partners in dealing with the secondary negative consequences of Russia's destabilizing acts. For example, we know that Ukraine's economy and financial position is being affected by this crisis. And just as we're bolstering Ukraine's security, so, too, are we looking for how we can support its economy beyond the significant assistance we're already provided. Our European allies and partners are doing so as well. And that's another matter that I'll have an opportunity to discuss with Congress later this afternoon. Uh, as we're taking steps to ensure that uh, the global energy supply isn't disrupted, uh, that, too, is an important focus. Should Russia choose to weaponize its natural gas by cutting supply to Europe even more than it's already done? We're in discussions with governments and major producers around the world about surging their capacity. We're engaged in detailed conversations with our allies and partners about coordinating our response, including how best to deploy their existing energy stockpiles. All this effort is aimed at mitigating price shocks and ensuring that people in the United States, Europe, and around the world have the energy they need, no matter what Russia decides to do. All told, our actions over the past week have sharpened the choice facing Russia now. We've laid out a diplomatic path. We've lined up steep consequences should Russia choose further aggression. We've stepped forward with more support for Ukraine's security and economy. And we and our allies and partners are united across the board. Now, we'll continue to press forward and prepare. It remains up to Russia to decide how to respond. Who believes him? No, no, not about Russia and how they respond. Who believes him that the United States and this administration, really I should discuss it as this administration, 
has sharpened the choices against them and really backed them into the in, in, into the corner. Who believes that our allies are with us, trust us, have faith in us, post-Afghanistan? The United States only recently has been moving weapons, armaments, into Ukraine to help. The UK has been doing this for a week. We are not leading. We are playing follow the leader in that situation. What an interesting thing for Blinken to say because it comes from the traditional American playbook. But it doesn't involve a recognition of today's politics, of what it is we've seen. And I find that to be, well, bothersome. We saw you fail in Afghanistan. What the hell makes you think we've got any faith in you regarding Ukraine? And what makes you think the Ukrainian people have any faith in you? What makes you think this, Secretary Blinken? The President of the United States said that a minor incursion is fine. He said the words, not me. Don't get mad at me. I will not get yelled at for what Joe Biden said, and you're just angry that I noticed. It's Joe Biden who said a minor incursion is one thing. Tell me why the Ukrainians or anybody else has any faith whatsoever. Because you're so desperate to save face from the horrible statement of the President of the United States that maybe now you'll get a little bit tough just to show you're actually tough when you're not? Because you screwed the pooch? Oh, that's, a, that's, that's some bad news. CYA makes for terrible foreign policy. I just don't know who Secretary Blinken thinks believes him at this moment. We're ready either way. One final note before I take some questions. Regarding American citizens in Ukraine, as you know, earlier this week, I authorized the voluntary departure of a limited number of U.S. employees and ordered the departure of many family members of embassy personnel from Ukraine. This was a decision based on one factor only, the safety and security of our colleagues and their families. And given the continued massive buildup of Russian forces on Ukraine's borders, which has many indications of preparations for an invasion, these steps were the prudent ones to take. I want to be clear that our embassy in Kyiv will remain open and we continue to maintain a robust presence to provide diplomatic, economic, and security support to Ukraine. The State Department has also issued an updated travel advisory due to the potential for security conditions to deteriorate rapidly and without warning if Russia invades or commits other destabilizing actions inside Ukraine. Our message now for any Americans in Ukraine is to strongly consider leaving using commercial or other privately available transportation options. These options remain readily available. And the embassy may extend loans to those who can't afford the cost of a commercial ticket. While the State Department will always seek to provide consular services wherever possible, Russian military action would severely impact our ability to perform that work. And if Russia invades, civilians, including Americans still in Ukraine, 
could be caught in a conflict zone between combatant forces. The U.S. government may not be in a position to aid individuals in these circumstances. As I said, CYA is a terrible foreign policy. Hey, Americans in Ukraine, we warned you. We told you. You're on your own already. That's how it's going to get played. That's how it's going to get played. Faith in this administration is waning. Nope, it's gone. It doesn't exist. So when Anthony Blinken has these kinds of statements, to whom is he actually speaking? To the Russians who aren't listening, to the Ukrainians who don't believe him, or to the Americans who watched you leave Americans to die in Afghanistan? And the answer is, it might not even matter. Because no one's believing him anyway. More to get to, including the retirement of Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. million. You know, we haven't played for a while. Let's let's play the game. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It is great to be with you. It's America's favorite game. What's that number? Here's how we play the game. I will give producer Ari a number. Producer Ari will then tell me what that number represents. Producer Ari, are you ready to play? What's that number? I'm ready. Uh, we should have done this in rehearsal. Ari, the number is 42.7 million. 42.7 million is the point. The point is 42.7 million. Producer Ari, what's that number? That's uh, how many ants it would take to, uh, to, to move you from one side of the room to the other. Ah, ah, very close, but no, that is not right. We'll try it one more time. The number is 42.7 million. 42.7 million is the number. Producer Ari, what is that number? That's how many views, uh... On your TikTok for your sexy belly dance. That is, that happens to be correct. This is the number of people who watched the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. It's the best they've seen in five years. That's better than Super Bowl numbers, right? Like, that's unbelievable. For a playoff game, it wasn't even a championship game. It peaked at 51.6 million viewers. That's huge. That's out of control. Out of control. Incredible, incredible stuff. We discussed it. It's very clear that the NFL was in many ways saved by this past weekend of football, which was, look, I I have avoided football like the plague. It has not been on my mind. I haven't watched really in two years. This year, because of places that I was at, I happened to have watched a little bit more. Passively. This weekend, this past weekend, it just worked out that I was actively watching games with the family, other stuff was just on. They were great. Cincinnati, Tennessee was great. San Francisco, Green Bay. <laughs> Sorry, Ari. Was great. Tampa Bay Rams was excellent. You couldn't believe the Rams are falling apart. Yo, here comes Tom Brady again. And then Matthew Stafford starts his own legacy after 12 years in the league. It was incredible. And then the the KC-Buffalo game was just out of control. 42.7 is huge stuff. 
Huge stuff. And then there's this thing this that happens with Buffalo. And I don't know I don't know how this started. Like every time there's a big game against Buffalo, the members of the uh, of the opposing fan base are supporting uh Buffalo hospitals. I don't this is not the first time this has happened. So the Bills Mafia, right? That's what they call Bills fans, Bills Mafia. Uh, they're like really intense and they do a lot of fundraising, I guess, and a lot of community service. And so they've inspired people, even when the team loses, to give to them. So Kansas City Chiefs fans started donating to the, I cannot pronounce the the the, the name, Oishe Children's Hospital in Buffalo. They raised $178,000. They were donating in increments of $13 because that was the 13 seconds that were on the clock when Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs brought the Chiefs down to field goal range and the field goal was kicked. So they're doing it in $13 increments. The Chiefs Kingdom Facebook group started this thing and now they've raised $178,000. It's This is like the second or third time this has happened with, with the Bills or maybe more. It's like, it's just so strange. But that's how good people are. It's uh, for Josh Allen's uh, late grandmother is how it got started. Is it really? Yeah, she had uh, she had passed away, and it's I the, thought you know, it's the Patricia I just Allen thought that fun. I just thought they were doing it before Josh Allen got to the team. Like I kind I kind of remember, but maybe maybe not. Maybe it is more recent, and I'm just in my head playing it like it's been a little longer. It's unbelievable. It really and truly is absolutely unbelievable. So it was last year when um, Bills fans donated to Lamar Jackson's foundation of the Ravens after a playoff win over the Ravens. It's pretty weird. Bills fans in 2017 when um, uh, did this, uh, it it was uh, Bengals, it was Andy Dalton and Tyler Boyd. They had a game-winning touchdown over the Ravens and to celebrate them helping Buffalo into the Super Bowl or not the Super Bowl into the playoffs they started donating it's very very strange but it's kind of fun and fascinating and now here's a hospital that just got basically $200,000 for I mean that that's one heck of a donation you wake up in the morning and 200 grand is in your bank account that you weren't expecting it's a good day people are good Nice bit of feel good. Way to do it. But don't worry. I've got some stuff from Anthony Fauci to totally ruin your day. Oh, by the way, that dude's a liar. It's coming up next. I'm Tony Katz. Costa made it all about him. It's a really important story. It's a really important story. And the important story is that we saw Joe Biden refer to Peter Ducey as a son of a bitch, and everybody was silent. And they're all getting the story wrong. 
No one more wrong than Jim Acosta because Jim Acosta is all about Jim Acosta. Allow me to explain. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. 833. Got Tony. 833-468-8669. And I will get to some of the, oh, Fauci needs to go to jail reality. I mean, stuff like this today. This was the COVID-19 response. Uh, the press briefing. I, I know. I know. I, can't, I shouldn't share. I shouldn't. Sh- but listen to this. For Dr. Fauci, I had a question for you. If, if you could talk a little bit about this next age group waiting for vaccines, kids four and younger, um, any updates on when we will hear from Pfizer <clears throat> on data? I think you talked about that coming in the next month or so. And if you could mm-hmm. clarify if this will be for a two-dose or a three-dose vaccine, which is expected to be sufficient. And then on Paxlovid, um, do you think the rollout of patients is going well, or are there things the government could be doing to make it easier to obtain? Well, I'll answer the first question and then turf to Jeff to ask, answer the second question. With regard to the clinical trials that are being done in children from six months to 24 months and from 24 months through four years, as you probably know, the original data that was done was determined if the doses that were given to those children reached what we call non-inferiority with a more adult or adolescent population. And the original data that was put forth, it looked like the dose and the regimen for the children who were six months to 24 months worked well, but it turned out that the other dose, namely the other group from 24 months to four years did not yet reach the level of non-inferiority. So the studies are continued. It looks like it will be a three-dose regimen. I- Just so I can maybe make it easier to understand, even though I believe you understood it, this is the argument for vaccinating three-year-olds. These people are diseased and sick, but not as diseased and sick as I see it as the parents who want to vaccinate their three-year-olds. Now, let me be clear. You're the parent. You do anything you want. Well, not anything. You, you, you know, take care of your kid as you see fit. But vaccinating a three-year-old and wanting it, celebrating it, being, I, I don't know, sexually gratified by it. Craziest thing ever. I mean, it's just weird. If you're asking me, if someone asked me, do you think I should vaccinate my three-year-old? I'd be like, yeah, no. No. Are you telling me that there are really a, a large proportion of Americans who are looking forward to this? Aggressively want this? Holy cow. Ain't that something? Something frightening. But see, this isn't the thing I, I, I want to dig in on. Although it's an extremely important story. Maybe I should be digging on in on Joe Biden, who wants you to know that health care is a right, not a privilege. To do everything in my power to ensure that all Americans have access to quality, affordable health care. Because I believe that health care is a right, not a privilege. And thanks to your hard work, more than 4 million people have gained coverage since I became president. Health care is a right is only proving to you exactly what kind of radical Joe Biden is. If healthcare is a right, doctors are slaves. Go on, fight me. If healthcare is a right, the doctor has to exist 
at the whim and the desire of the patient. That's how this goes. The doctor has no right to privacy. The doctor has no right to their own time. They are an agent of the state if healthcare is a right because the that healthcare is a right doesn't exist in the ether. For example, the right to free speech exists because I can say what I will. Nobody has to provide me anything to do it. My mind, it exists. The right to protect and defend myself, that is a right that exists through nature and nature's law. I don't need government to give it to me, although I don't mind government codifying such a thing. But note, I don't say they have to provide me the firearm, which, of course, would be awesome. I have the right to protect and defend myself because of my existence. But if healthcare is a right... You're discussing aspirin and penicillin and chemotherapy treatments and surgeries. Those come from somewhere. Those come from the minds of free people who went about learning how to engage a skill and then being compensated for it. We're not even discussing their charitable works therein. You want charitable works? Look at all the money that Big Pharma has given to Black Lives Matter groups just so they won't get boycotted or threatened or attacked. Hoo-wee! You got to pay off those Marxists if you want to get ahead. Am I right or am I right or am I right? Healthcare can't be a right because it involves the labor of another human being. And if you're saying you are entitled to, as a right, their labor, they cease existing as a free person. They are a slave. 833-468-8669. You want to disagree with me? I'm right here. Prove me wrong. I'm right here. 833-468-8669. 833-GOT-TONY. If healthcare is a right, the doctor is a slave. Well, of course that's the case. You are saying that you are entitled to the labor of another. And you're not. It doesn't matter what your mommy told you. You're just not that special. <laughs> but but I, I, I want you to take me on. I want somebody who, who really feels the other way. Lay out your case. Just lay it out. 833-468-8669. That is the number. But that wasn't even the thing that I was going to get to. I want to talk about Jim Acosta. But, I mean, I will take calls on this. And let's remember what it is that Joe Biden said about Peter Ducey and his question. Peter Ducey of Fox News. That's a great asset. More inflation. What a stupid son of a bitch. That's what Joe Biden said. And of course, people reacted with like, what in the bloody world is this? And Biden called, but didn't apologize, called Peter Ducey, quasi-apology, and Peter Ducey took it all in stride. Jim Acosta decided to make it all about himself, and he was filling in for Chris Cuomo, who's no longer on the show, because he's doing things like referring to Janice Dean as that weather bitch. 
and, of course, advising his criminal brother. Oh, you remember his criminal brother, don't you? The former governor of uh, New York, uh, Andrew Cuomo? That's right. So Jim Acosta's filling in. Seriously, CNN, I'm right here. I will have better ratings than everybody on that station in on that network in six months. Six months. That's all it's going to take. You don't even have to pay me for the six months. And on every single show, I will end the show by punching producer Ari directly in the face. He doesn't even object. You got to love that. That's a guy who's committed to his craft. Jim Acosta filling in for Chris Cuomo, that show, is doing the handoff with Don Lemon. And Don Lemon's talking about this, and Jim Acosta, no one knows more than you what it's like to deal with a president who's yelling at you. You had a front row seat to the destruction of, de- uh, of democracy. And Jim Acosta responds by saying, yeah, and I've got the marks on my back to prove it, Don. That would be a slavery reference. The marks on my back, like he got whipped. There was some name calling, and Jim Acosta made himself the story as opposed to being a journalist and stepping aside. Jackie Heinrich's question was called stupid by President Biden. No one said a word. The White House Correspondents Association said nothing. You know what she did? She didn't make the story about her. I got a lot of respect for Jackie Heinrich. Peter Ducey, I mean, Biden's talking right at him. He didn't make the story about him. But this Peter Ducey story, Jim Acosta made it about Jim Acosta because Jim Acosta is terrible. But let me share with you the part of the story that matters. Let me share with you uh, the part of the story that I think it matters. People are discussing that there are, you know, uh, presidents have acted badly and oh, Trump has acted badly and, and, and look at what George Bush said this one time. The argument here is not whether or not presidents can get uppity and, and get in someone's face. Harry Truman threatened a reporter via letter because the reporter wrote a bad review of his daughter while she was singing. Threatened to beat him up. This is not new. The argument here is that Joe Biden told us he was a unifier. Joe Biden told his staff that if you're disrespectful to anybody in this in this place, you will be fired on the spot. And he does this. The media told us he was a good, kind, decent guy. But we all know he's an angry, bitter old man yelling at the cloud, screaming, get off my lawn. He has a long history of being nasty, a long history of being rude, a long history of of being a racist, by the way, and somehow we're not supposed to notice when he does these things. That's the part that's worth noting. Me, I'm going to note it. Now, now, producer Ari is in a quandary because I said health care is not a right. Because if you believe that health care is a right... Well, then um, you believe that the doctor is a slave. Well, of course they are, because they don't have a right to themselves. Their, their job is to provide you your right. So how health care can't be a right because somebody else is providing it. I said, take me on on this. So, so producer Ari gets a call from somebody who claims to be a doctor, but won't give their name. So now yeah, producer Ari is in a quandary. I was, I'm in a pickle. Right? He wants somebody to disagree with me. 
because he thinks that'll be an interesting conversation. But if you won't share your name, how would we even believe you're a doctor? So why would you even tell us you're a doctor? Why couldn't you just call and said your name is Tim? That's a really good point. Ah, thank you very much. I do this I do this all week. So so the question is, producer Ari, what's your take? Do you take the call or not? I so my what I explained to him is that how do I know you are who you say you are? Because you could just come on here and drop an F bomb and hang up. But if you tell me your name, I could Google you. And if you're a legit doctor, I know you're not going to do that. But he, he said he wasn't comfortable with that. And I'm not going to force you to give me your name. So do you want to give it a try? Finger on the dump button? Yeah, hope sure. for the best? Yeah, sure. Okay. Mystery doctor, who we will refer to respectfully as Dr. Vinny Bumbats. Sir, thank you for coming on. You believe that health care is a right? Yes, I do. I do because, uh, you know, as you are probably aware, uh, that as someone receives adequate health care beginning in their infancy uh, until they pass, that health care determines both the quantity and quality of their life. And I think anybody who is an American citizen, somebody who could be called up to serve their country, put their lives on the line, be trafficked, I think is entitled to some basic form of health care. And I don't think ah. could. Well, that's interesting, so. sir, because if they are in, if they are entitled to some basic form of health care, we're now qualifying the health care. Correct. Well, let me ask you a question. Uh, I, is, I, 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 I just asked the question. So, right. but sure, if you yeah, want to ask I, me the I question did. and not answer the question, okay. All right, go re- repeat your question again. If we, if you say that uh, health care is a right. And then you say right. that people are entitled to some basic form of health care, quality of health care. We are now qualifying it, correct? Well, I think we are qualifying it in the context of what our system, our health care system, can adequately deliver to the entire population as a whole. As you know, there are certain treatments that uh, may not be uh, adequately proven in the context of clinical trials that if people have money, uh, that they can pay for out of pocket. But there should be, yes, uh, care should be provided like for uh, cancer care, uh, access to chemotherapy. Why should somebody not have the ability, the opportunity to enjoy uh, a longer period of living with their, their family or a better quality of life if they're suffering from... Why should people uh, be born with heart conditions? Why should people be born short? Why should people be born with a propensity to obesity? Because sometimes the natural lottery is lost. But I have to go back, sir. If we are now qualifying the type of health care, the amount of health care, it is no longer a right. It is something that is rationed by a government. It's not a right. It doesn't exist through nature and nature's law. It exists only through the grace of man. That's why, that's why we have uh, this, uh, what we call a society, a democracy, the civil organization that we have evolved from hunter-gatherers into uh, the, the current uh, status that we enjoy right now that provides things like health care, the fire department. Do you have a right for the fire department to come to your house if your house is on fire? We set up fire departments, sir. Sir. We set up fire departments because a society has not done any good by letting my house burn down because my neighbor's house might burn down. Fire departments exist for selfish, selfish reasons, and I appreciate the call. We're, we're up against it. I've been That argument has come across me many, many times. That's why you have fire departments. You do not benefit from your neighbor's house burning down because your house will burn down. 
The argument, though, was about rights, and you have moved the goalposts. I won't allow that. If we are qualifying rights and we determine now that governments determine the rights, what we are saying is that it is not a right. Rather, it is from the design of government saying that you are acceptable and you are not, and this is all we will give. That's not rights given by nature and nature's law. Happy to have this conversation again. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. President Trump was golfing, and uh, someone asked him a question. He said this. First on T, 45th president of the United States. 45th and 47th. 47th, yeah. Does that mean he's running again? 45th and 47th president of the United States? Hmm. I'm Tony Katz.